church calendar that comes 12 days after Christmas. This is now the end of the Christmas season. Today we celebrate the coming of the Magi, and we're now in the season of Epiphany that will take us up to Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent. So now that it's Epiphany, you can all go home and take out your Christmas decorations. <laughs> We began our service this morning by singing We Three Kings, the familiar carol that tells the story of the coming of the Magi, the wise men from the east. Now, how many wise men were there? We had no idea whatsoever. The scripture tells us that the Magi brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and from that we've assumed that there were three wise men. But nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that. That's just become a tradition within the church. It also doesn't tell us that they were kings. Most probably they weren't. The idea of three kings coming to see the baby Jesus could be traced back to the Middle Ages. And, and it may have been influenced by the psalm that we heard this morning, talking about foreign kings coming to pay tribute to King Solomon. <coughs> In our psalm, we read that kings would come from foreign lands and bring tribute to him. Now, we know the Queen of Sheba came bringing gold and spices, and this morning's psalm often has been associated with the coming of the new king, with the Messiah, who would sit on David's throne. In the second half of the book of Isaiah, the prophet is writing in order to comfort the people who have been in captivity, and he describes a new glory of Zion. A time when Israel will return to the glory in the days of King David. And the prophet says, your life has come and the glory of the Lord is upon you. Sounds a little bit like what the angel said to the shepherds, doesn't it? And he goes on a few verses later, so all will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Now Matthew, who was writing, his writings were directed primarily to the Jewish people. And he may well have thought back to these Old Testament writings and they may have had an influence on his own writings years later when he was telling the story of the birth of the Christ child. Through the years, we've been given names to these three wise men. Gaspar, Melchior, uh, Belthazer. Although there's nothing to base any of that on either other than our need to personalize these men. Nowhere in the scripture are we told that there were three men, that they were kings, what their names were. Now, it doesn't take away from the story. We just need to know what's in the scripture and what History tells us that the Magi were probably from Persia and that they were religious men who were known and recognized for their wisdom and holiness. They were men who were accustomed to watching the stars for signs of things to come. And they were men who were in search of the truth the very thing that John years later would come to proclaim the truth that a new life had come into the world. There have been many various attempts in, in modern science to correlate the presence of that star with some natural phenomenon in order to explain the unexplainable. I remember I had a, a Bible professor when I was in college years ago who said he didn't know which of the various theories of creation was true. All he knew for certain was that God was responsible for all of creation, and that was enough for him. And the how just didn't seem to be all that important, as long as he recognized God's hand in what took place. How 
was somewhat surprised at the time that I learned that a Bible professor in college at Baylor uh, would be so uncertain about the creation story. I mean, as a youngster who grew up in the Baptist church, I'd always thought it was kind of cut and dry. Six days, seventh day you rested. Simple, that was it. But here was an experienced theologian and professor who admitted he wasn't sure, he didn't know. And I think that may have been the beginning of my willingness to acknowledge that there are certain things in the Bible that I don't totally understand. And I don't suspect that I'm wrong. That's what we might say about that star. We may not be able to scientifically explain the star, but there should be no doubt that the star did guide those wise men on a quest to find something that they may not have understood, but towards something that they did know was special. I, I received a wonderful email back some time ago that uh, might give us some food for thought and certainly be a more modern and politically correct image of Magi. I didn't make a copy of it, but the, the gist of it goes something like, if these had been three wise women instead of men, they would have stopped and gotten directions earlier so they'd been there at the time first. <laughs> they would have brought more practical gifts like the pampers and talcum powder, maybe a crib toy or a stroller. And then they would have cleaned up the stable and made it more homey. Now, I'm not saying any of that's take away from the scripture. It's just kind of interesting and certainly politically correct. <laughs> While the story of the wise men have been ex expanded through the years and possibly misunderstood by some, there's no doubt in my mind that the importance and the significance of their visit to see the Christ child cannot and should not be overlooked. The significance is so important that it's been given a special day on the church calendar. And we take time each year to remember the epiphany. Another word for epiphany is manifestation. Now, what's a manifestation? It's a sign. It reveals something and helps make something clear to our senses. Think about a, think about a ship's manifest. It describes the, the contents of the cargo. It lists the passengers. It tells you where the ship's been and where it's going. It helps us to see and understand something more clearly. In the play Peter Pan, there's an interesting line when the pirate screen believes that he's discovered a way to get rid of Peter Pan, he says, I think I've had an apostrophe. <laughs> and Captain Hook replies, I think you mean an epiphany. Earlier in that same scene, Hook had, had used that word epiphany. He said, I had an epiphany when all the jagged parts of my life had certainly come together. And that's sometimes a common use of the word epiphany. A time when we have a, a flash of insight and our life certainly seems to make sense in a way that it never had before. We've seen things in a new light. And that's what this morning's lesson's all about. You know, that's not a bad definition of the word epiphany. But an older use of the word was to describe an appearance or a manifestation of something supernatural. And it's the word used to describe the revealing of Jesus as the Christ to the Gentiles. The celebration of epiphany is not so much about celebration of the coming of the Magi as it is the celebration of the good news of Jesus Christ being made known excuse me, to the non-Jewish world, to the Gentiles, what the Magi were. God's love was revealed to all men in a new way. Man could see and feel God in their lives in a new way. It was truly an epiphany. Our gospel lesson this morning says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born to the Jews? We saw a star in the east and had come to worship him. Now in Luke's gospel, we have the story of the angel appearing to, to Mary and Joseph and Zach Zachariah. We read about the angels coming to the shepherds and telling them of the birth of Messiah. But that's, that's as much as we get from Luke. Mark and John don't even mention the birth of Jesus. And so when we get back to Matthew's gospel, he talks about the angels that appeared to Joseph. And he gives the account of the coming of the Magi. It, it's Matthew who makes a point of telling us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of Herod the Great. But from Luke's gospel, we know that Caesar Augustus was the emperor over Rome at this time. And so when we overlap these two facts, these two rulers reign, we can fairly well pinpoint the time of Jesus' birth, not the, not the day, but probably pretty close to the year. Bethlehem was a little town six miles south of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament days, it had been called Ephrathah, and it stood on a fertile hillside. Bethlehem had a long history. This is where Jacob had buried his wife, Rachel, and he'd set up a pillar in her memorial there. This is where Ruth had lived after she married Boaz. But the most significant thing about Bethlehem was this had been the home of David. In the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, we read where Samuel was sent by God to the home of Jesse the Ephrathite to anoint David as the one who would one day replace Saul as the king over Judah. And through the years, Bethlehem had come to be known as the city of David. It was Micah, the prophet, who had said, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the tribes of Judah, from you will come forth for me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It was from Bethlehem that the Jews expected God's anointed one to come into the world. And it was important for Matthew to make that point clear. That's what happened. God's anointed one had been born in Bethlehem. Now, while we all have a, that image of that manger and the stable, that, that too is probably not accurate. The city of Bethlehem was built on a slope of the hill. Justin Mortar was one of the greatest of the early church leaders and historians, and he lived in that area. And he wrote in the first century that the stable was most likely a cave-like structure that had been dug out of the limestone near the local inn, rather than an outside stable where we normally think of it. Stables at this time in the area were more often found in caves. Now again, there's nowhere in the scripture that says that the manger was a stable. The angels told the shepherds what? That they would go and find the baby in a manger, not in a stable. Through the years, we've just simply added that part of the story because it, it fit the words of some of our songs. The animals normally would have been kept in a traditional stable, but maybe not in this case. To this day, there's a cave in Bethlehem. You only see this, I know. There's a cave that's depicted as the birthplace of Jesus. Above the cave stands the Church of the Nativity, which was built by Constantine in the early 4th century. There, there's a wall and there's a small door. The door is so small that you have to stoop down to enter. And on the other side of the wall, there's the church, and beneath the altar is this cave. Now, you used to be able to actually go down into this cave that measured about 12 by 40 feet. We, we may never know whether or not this is the same cave, but we do know that when the King of Glory came to earth, he was born in a lowly place, 
from men shelter their animals. And it, it seems symbolic that that church where the cave is has a door that's so low that almost stoop to enter because it only seems fitting that every man should approach the end of Jesus on his knees. The other part of the Christian story that's always depicted incorrectly is the Magi themselves. They didn't come and find the baby in a manger. Verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. The scriptures would lead us to believe that sometime had passed, and apparently Joseph had decided to remain in Bethlehem with his new family. I imagine a good carpenter could probably find work wherever he was. And it may be that, that Joseph wanted to protect Mary from the gossip that they might have faced if they returned to Nazareth. Remember, when they left Nazareth, Mary was with child. And by all right, she shouldn't have been. Certainly the old neighbors would have been talking. So it would appear that the family had actually taken up residence in Bethlehem by the time that the wise men arrived. Verse 2 of our lesson says that the wise men went to the court of Herod, seeking to learn where the new king of the Jews had been born. I suspect they went to Jerusalem because that was the seat of power. In that region, surely the capital city would know where the birth of a new king took place. In verse 3, it says that when Herod heard about a new king, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, what would the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, why would that frighten the reigning king so much? So much that he plotted to kill all the children within an age span that would ensure that the new king would be among those killed, all the boys <coughs> in the age of two. That in and of itself confirms that the wise men arrived sometime after the birth of Jesus. Herod had been placed in power by the Roman government. He was the current king of the Jews. Now there had been a time when, when he'd been a, a good enough king. He'd done some good things for the Jewish people. But Herod had one terrible character flaw. He was insanely suspicious. And this only got worse as he got older. Now we know that Herod only lived a few more years after having all the innocent children killed. But history tells us that during his last years, Herod became so paranoid that he began to believe that everybody was plotting against him. He believed it so much that he had his favorite wife, her mother, two of her sons, his eldest son, all killed in order to prevent them from taking over his throne. That's being paranoid. Herod called the chief priests, the scribes together, and they told Herod that the prophets had said that the ruler who would come and shepherd God's people would be born in Bethlehem. And with this, we see three groups of people reacting to the birth of Jesus. And I suspect they represent mankind still today. It was the reaction of Herod. There was hatred and hostility. Herod was afraid that this little child would one day interfere with his lifestyle, with his power, with his influence, and therefore he must be destroyed. And there are still those today who don't want Christ in their lives because they want to be their own king. They want to live their life on their own terms. And to do that, you've got to get rid of God and all that he represents. We're still seeing that around us these days. We, we've certainly seen it in the past with lawsuits and protest against allowing God in the Christmas season. There's still those who don't want Jesus to be any part of their lives. Then there was the reaction of the, of the chief priests and the scribes. They were the religious leaders of their day. They're the, the people that should have been looking 
in coming on the Messiah. They, they were the ones that offered guidance to the people, but their reaction was complete indifference. These men were so wrapped up in their rituals and their intellectual discussions that they were totally disregarded the coming of Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the very one who should have filled their lives with great joy. We still have people like that in today's society. They may not be openly hostile to God. They may not show hatred toward God. They just don't express any emotion about God at all. They just go about their daily lives solely wrapped up in what they're doing. They may acknowledge that there may be things in the world that are wrong, but they just are too busy in their own little world to care about anything else or anyone else. And finally, there's the reaction of the shepherds and the wise men, those who would come and worship and adore the Christ child, and those who would lay at his feet the noblest of gifts, worthy of a king. Hopefully that's the group that's represented here. Our reaction to the coming of Jesus into the world. Hopefully we would give all that we have and we would go out into the world to tell others what we had seen and heard and witnessed in the, in the birth of our Savior. Let's look at a moment just at the gifts that the, that the wise men brought and see what significance that might hold for us this morning. The wise men left Jerusalem and made their day's journey south to Bethlehem. And there they brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was a gift for a king. It was the currency of kings, not, not common folk. But then that's what the wise men came looking for, wasn't it? A king. And it was a custom that no one ever came to the court of a king without bringing a gift. The Magi brought gold to a king. Frankenstein Frankincense, excuse me, was a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Frankincense was the gift for a priest. It was used in temple worship and temple sacrifice. It was the, the sweet perfume that enhanced worship and praise of God. It would have been the perfect gift for a priest. And the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means a bridge builder. Isn't that what a priest is meant to do? He's to help build bridges between God and man. That's exactly what Jesus did, our high priest. He opened the way and made it possible for man to enter into the very presence of God. And my job brought frankincense to a priest. Finally, myrrh. Myrrh is the gift for one who has died. Myrrh was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. If you were here Christmas Eve, you heard the story of Jesus who was born to be crucified. Jesus came into the world to live as one of us, to show us what God is really like. But he also came into the world in order to die for each of us so that we might receive God's grace and mercy through his death and resurrection. And the Magi brought the myrrh to one who had died. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for one who had died. These were the gifts from the Magi. And even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that Jesus would one day be the king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, the superior savior of the world through his death and resurrection. I believe that's the message that we need to hear and remember as Christians as the Christmas season draws to a close. It's truly the message of the epiphany. God was manifested in his son. He came to earth in human form so that we might see God with our own eyes. 
And with the coming of the Magi, the Gentile world was also introduced to the Son of God. And shouldn't we all be thankful for that? Let us stand and join together in the expression of 